Station 13 covers topics that may not be suitable for all listeners, such as death, homicide, body gore, and the paranormal. We also like to swear on occasion. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome back to Station 13. Grab a glass of wine and put the kids to bed. This is DJ Void, signing back on. today's show, I would like to announce we have added a brand new section to the site's webpage. This page is called Community Causes, and on it we will be sharing causes in the community that need funding, whether that be charities that are struggling, those suffering from loss of housing due to disability, sexuality, or orientation, and those looking to fund surgeries for people or pets they find dear. If you'd like to have your story shared through the Community Causes page, or on the podcast, please reach out through thestation13.com. This page's first call to aid is for Luke O'Ryan and their queer platonic partner, Betty. Luke recently became a wheelchair user to help with their mobility and are currently struggling to afford a place to stay permanently. They are currently living in a van in an unfamiliar state with their two fur children as they try to find a place safe enough to call home. You can locate Luke's coffee page to donate through the page on the site listed above, where they post general life updates and their art. Their music will also be featured on the cast in the future. I implore anyone with a heart large enough and funds they were able to part with to help them on their journey. Alright, on to the episode. I'm so glad for all of you that were able to join us again. While we were away, I actually got an email from Alex, the young man that was reported missing the other day and it seems things get a little odder than expected. Let's see here. Hello, Void. I'm Alex, the young boy that was reported missing by my parents, Mr. and Mrs. Sterling. Funny story, I'm not missing. I'm also not 15. I haven't been 15 for damn near four years. I left on my own volition. You see, being born and raised in a bunker is a nightmare. I didn't even know the outside world was still standing. My parents had never let me pass the airlock. I only knew about the outside world thanks to the radio, and probably wouldn't even have expected it to be livable until you hijacked the airways. So I guess this goes out to my parents, who royally screwed me over. I'm 19. I'm finally free of you, and the world isn't fucking over. Oh, and Culver's is delicious. I'm never going back into that dingy bunker. Yeah, well, I was right. The Sterlings were short a few marbles. I really hope Alex will be able to handle the world, though. Honestly, he'd probably be safer in that bunker this time of year, especially when he doesn't even know how to protect himself. I guess let's hope a kind family took him in and is teaching him the ropes. In other events, I am now contractually obligated to tell you Hollow Creek HOA will be holding a members meeting on July 23rd. This meeting is mandatory for everyone over the age of 21. With that out of the way, it's time to rifle through the old confession box that they've so lovingly posted on my front lawn. Let's see what kind of piping hot tea we have, shall we? This first one reads, 
Sometimes I catch the creature in the backwoods destroying Catherine's garden. I know I should chew it away, but she's got babies on her back and Catherine is kind of insufferable. Yeah. Okay, Catherine is quite the treat and the babies are damned cute. But you know those critters dig up our internet cables. Come on, man. Is this why I couldn't watch Cryptids Got Talent last week? Ugh. Anyway, let's see here. This next one says, I like to feed the three-eyed owls in the woodline by encouraging rabbits to nest in my backyard. They just look so hungry all the time and I feel awful about it. Ah, you're the reason my yard is sorely lacking clover this year. Listen up. Just don't let them eat too much. I've seen them grow to the size of a Volkswagen beetle out in the countryside, and at that point, rabbits ain't all they're munching on. It looks like we just have one more here in the box for today. It reads, Sometimes when it gets nasty out, I allow all the stray animals and beings into my garage for food and water, and comfort. I know it goes against code, but they're just trying to survive. Okay, that one is just wholesome. Remember, if it has more than four eyes, it's probably a carnivore. Though I'd skip the cat food and ask the butcher if you can have his scraps. He's a good dude, so I'm sure he'd oblige. With the dirty laundry out in the open, I figured it's best I share some of my own. You see, while I was browsing apartments before landing on my new abode, I toured the oddest place. It was a simple upper unit, one bedroom, one bath, and a smoker's balcony. However, I was advised in advance that the smoker's balcony was off-limits. Turns out the neighbor wasn't too thrilled it looked out into her garden and sent several complaint letters to the landlord. Now, if I was never warned, I probably wouldn't have looked so closely at the sliding glass doors that led outside. But boy, am I lucky I did. It turns out there was a little journal stashed along the trim. I snatched it up when the agent showing me the home wasn't looking and decided to take it back with me. You never know what stories an old journal might hold. Later that day, on the trek to the station, I came across something that gave me pause. A lost cat poster. Which may not seem too odd now, but let me tell you the contents of the last few entries in the journal first. Monday, June 8th, 20-something? I can't believe I'm still writing in this pocket journal, but my therapist was right. Writing to a journal like you're writing to a friend is a comforting outlet, especially when your neighbors are downright irritating. I unfortunately live next to the town's crazy cat lady, but I'm not entirely sure she has any pet cats. It is, however, very true that cats clutter into her yard daily, despite the fact I've never once seen her feed them while out on my smoke breaks. I have seen her bring a couple in every few days, but I never see any of them in the windows, and they don't seem to ever be let back out, either. I've caught her bringing bulky trash to the neighbor's bins, but I kind of assumed she just worked nights. I wonder if she rehomes them or something? Wednesday, June 10th. Well, last night all of my curiosities about my neighbor got answered. The cops didn't believe me, so I just have to write this down here. What I witnessed tonight took the term crazy cat lady too far. Around midnight, I popped out onto the patio for a smoke break, a guilty pleasure to break the monotony of the day. 
The patio has a decent view into the neighbor's back garden, and that's when I saw it. Her cat. It was maybe six feet tall sitting down. It wore what looked like a calico coat of fur and a crudely crafted cat mask as its head sat on my old neighbor's lap. I lost my breath for a moment as I stared down at it before it locked eyes with me. It held my gaze for an uncomfortable amount of time before breaking it and lumbering back into her house. Those poor cats. She... she used them. What the fuck was that thing? Whatever it was, it made eye contact with me and now I can't help feeling like it's keeping an eye on me. About an hour ago, I went out for another smoke to calm my nerves and it was on her fucking balcony and just staring at me. Its eyes glowed under the crude mask and I nearly choked. I've gotta move. I've gotta get out of here now. The rest of the journal was just rantings about work and their move to the unit, but the last entries really make me happy I didn't go with the place. Now that reason the lost cat poster made me unnerved after reading this is because the picture shown is intensely similar to the creature described in this journal. It simply states, Missing Cat. Patches. Patches is larger than the average cat standing at six feet tall. She has a calico coat and long shaggy fur. She likes shrimp and should come to you if you offer some. Do not approach her from behind as she spooks easily and I will not be held liable for damages. Reward, $5,000 in Pottery Barn gift cards. Simply put in plain terms, it is the same cat. If you even call Patches a cat. I'm kind of unnerved now knowing that creature is roaming free. Let's cut to commercial so I can grab some coffee and calm my nerves. Thank you everyone for joining us today on Station 13. Today we are highlighting Lyric Dimmig of Lapcat Creations and Rain of Paracosm Entertainment. Lyric provided Station 13 with its wonderful podcast cover art, the opening tune, and their voice as Garth Strongwater. If you like their work or would like to view other pieces they have for sale, including some very cute knit items, check out their website, lapcatcreations.square.site. That's L-A-P hyphen C-A-T hyphen C-R-E-A-T-I-O-N-S dot square dot site. Rain lends their voice to our wonderful weathercaster, Misk, and you can find their voice elsewhere on their podcast, Onward and Onward, and Paracosm Entertainment on Twitch and YouTube. Would you like your horror story to be featured on Station 13? Or maybe your own favorite local cryptid? And what about your newest music? Maybe you even wish to support what we endeavor to do here and help our staff feed their fluffy co-hosts. Well, head over to thestation13.com. That's T-H-E-S-T-A-T-I-O-N 13.com for the link to our Patreon and submission information. We'll see you there. Now, I was just perusing my emails while that played for you all and came across something quite concerning. I know I made a joke last week about our signal being a little too strong, but it seems it may not be a joke. 
The email had little to it other than a scanned copy of a letter someone found in a cabin near their home. The sender themselves say very little, simply that this letter is something I might find interesting. I figured why not share it with everyone listening. Let's give it a gander, shall we? Where the hell am I? I fell down a hill in my backyard, and when my eyes opened, I was greeted by the sight of two fucking moons. I thought I had a concussion, so I tried to manage back to my house, but when I got there, it wasn't my house. The paint color was wrong, and it had far too many windows. I tried calling my partner on my cell phone, but when I finally got an answer, an old lady was on the other line. Told me no one by her name lived there. I feel like I've completely fucking lost it. Writing it down doesn't help it make any goddamn sense. I met a guy while I was wandering this suburb who seemed quite concerned I was headed for the park while the moon was still up. He got pretty aggravated when I brushed him off and kept walking. Damn near followed me all the way, too, and then I realized why. Just past the brush line was a giant beast. I don't know exactly what the hell it was, but it stopped me in my tracks, and the dude following me simply grabbed my shoulder and slowly encouraged me to start walking back towards the houses. Eventually, he started leading somewhere, and at that point, I just followed. What worse could really happen? Is what I thought. But as we walked, I noticed strange creatures crawling around the garbage cans and hissing as we passed. I know for a fact they weren't no damned raccoons or possums. Honestly, what the ever-living hell is going on? Ever since I woke up, nothing seems right. I think I saw a giant fucking bird earlier. The guy I was following finally brought me to a cabin on the outskirts of the woods. He didn't have much to say, but did warn me that I need to stay inside for now. Called me the equivalent of a baby and very sternly said I know diddly squat, and leaving would only put me in danger. He didn't seem mean. More just angry at my existence in the first place. After that, he just kind of left. It's been like two days and I've been just sitting here with nothing to do but stare out the window. Won't lie, though, nearly shit my pants the first time I saw a creature the size of a fucking horse walk past the window. Its face resembled that of a rabbit, but its body was closer to that of a werewolf. How can that thing be real? I don't know if I'm being pranked, but I'm sick of it. Maybe I'll wake up eventually and this will all be a sick, twisted dream caused by falling down that stupid hill. I just want to go home and see my family again, but I don't know if that's even fucking possible. If I see one more fucked up thing here, I may actually lose it. Wow, this must be some serious shit if this guy's never heard of jack bears. I mean, they explain them pretty thoroughly in most summer camps around here. Giant is all get out, but gentle by nature, otherwise known as the forest spirit that guides lost campers back to the trail. I've actually encountered quite a few and they truly are no threat. Not to mention they really enjoy getting scritches behind the ears. While we're here, why don't we check in on the news? Hello everyone, I'm Garth Strongwater. Before I begin the news, I would like to apologize if my voice sounds a bit off. The pancakes the creature outside my window served me were delicious, but I think there may have been a kind of paralyzing agent hidden within the syrup. 
Since consumption, my jaw has been locked at an odd angle. The creature seems to feel bad about it. I'm assuming it didn't know that I would react that way to the ingredients, so please do not blame the creature. And with that, here's the news. Today, the world has gone silent. I don't particularly know why, but even the screaming outside my window has ceased. This does not seem to bode well, and I advise everyone to start boarding your windows now, as horror season is almost upon us. In other aspects of the news, it seems the crickets have begun taking over the continental United States. However, I would not concern yourself too much, as crickets are a very nutritious snack for some of our local garbage gerblins. If you see a little creature crunching away in your backyard, please leave it alone, as it is doing the god's work. For those of you who like diving, I suggest avoiding it for the time being, as the water has been a little agitated as of late. Maybe something to do with the rich thinking it will bend to their will. In a bit of personal news, I have found a new webtoon that I quite enjoy. It's called There's Something in the Woods by Chaos Creature Studios. In one of the episodes, there's a newsman that shares my last name. I don't blame the writer for using it. It is a good name, after all. Anywho, back to you, Void. Oh, I've heard of Chaos Creation Studios. I actually read another one of their works titled Lyric is Learning. It's quite an enjoyable read. I am, however, saddened to hear about your jaw. Hopefully the little break I have planned will give you time to rest. Alright folks, I have selected some of my old letters to read to you today, including some more from my dear friend Shelley. She actually got back in contact with me through email and shared some stories of her time in Alaska that I figured would make for a good read. I'll again for now be skipping the formalities of these letters and jumping right into the meat of them, so strap yourself in. The first few stories I will be sharing today are from an older soul named Via Marsh. Via had her granddaughter send us several letters over the years about her time serving as a park ranger. These stories became somewhat sentimental to me when my own grandmother died. It really puts into perspective the beauty of writing things down for future generations. Here's to hoping Via's great-grandchildren are listening now. On with the first of many. I've spent a hefty majority of my life in service as a park ranger. Needless to say, I have plenty of stories to write about. I figured I'd have a few written down in the order I remember them. You see, I retired last year, and it sure is boring as I'll get. I figured why not dictate to my granddaughter and have her mail these to you after I pass. Which, yes, if you are reading this, I have passed, and these stories will be my legacy. I began working as a park ranger fresh out of college at the ripe old age of 20. It seemed a simple job after watching my grandfather do it for so many years. You could say I was a legacy hire. However, it became glaringly apparent after my first week that I had viewed this job with rose-tinted glasses. You see, on my third day, I happened to be working an overnight shift. The other ranger was already out the door before I even got out of my car. On his desk was his resignation note, simply stating, Nope, just no, I'm done. On top of the rule book for the station I was assigned to. Now, I will not lie and say I remember all the rules, but these are the ones I do. Number one. When starting your shift, remember to grab a freshly charged walkie-talkie. Do not go anywhere on the premises without it. Number two. Before dusk, do a walk around of your assigned area. Make sure the trash cans are locked and the trail cameras are not obscured. Number three. As the sun starts to disappear beyond the horizon, head over to Site 13. 
There should be a key and a lockbox in front of the cabin there. The code should have been told to you on your hire date. This will be your code for all lockboxes from here on out. Keep this key on you at all times. Number 4. Around 10 p.m. make your way towards the bunker at Site 4. It is safe to remain out and about until 11 p.m. as I test the sirens between 8 p.m. and 11 p.m., scaring the wildlife into hiding. However, make sure you are in the bunker by the time the sirens are done. Number 5. When you enter the bunker, always make sure to lock the door behind you. We have lost three rangers due to this grave error. Number 6. Do not leave the bunker until your shift is over at 5.30 a.m. There are monitors that will give you access to all the trail cams in your area. Check each one frequently, and if anything is amiss, call it in on your walkie. You will not receive a response. If you do, turn your walkie off for the remainder of your shift. These rules definitely struck me as odd, but I figured what state park didn't have something weird going on? Black River was not an exception to that ideology. I remember that night vividly, as it left a heavy mark on my soul. I followed the rules to a T, not risking my job over things I find trivial, and at 11.30 I found myself in the bunker sitting in front of the monitors with a cup of coffee. The first few hours were quiet, not much to report, but I took notes on the critters I saw passing by the cameras. Around 2 a.m., however, I saw something I could never forget. It was the size of a large horse, with the figure of a man, but its face was nothing like I had ever seen before. Its eyes were almost bigger than its face, with antlers towering over its already imposing frame. The moment I saw it, I swore time had stopped, though it didn't take long before its long, clawed fingers swiped at the camera. I did my due diligence and radioed it in, and like the rules stated, no reply came. I remember being relieved that no reply came in. In my head, it meant that night was going smoothly. This thing I had witnessed took out a few more cameras, and with each one, I was greeted with its disturbing face. It didn't have a jaw. That wasn't something I noticed at first. However, it did have dripping fangs protruding, just below what I assume was a hole where the nose would normally be. I radioed in each time, and thankfully each time the line remained silent. The rules said I could leave at 5.30, but I remember leaving and the clock in my car reading 9. Looking back, I wonder why that wasn't my breaking point. I was young and could have gone back to school or found a different park that needed a ranger. Maybe it was my grandfather's proud expression when I made it home that morning. His smile could have lit up the world. I think this isn't a terrible place to leave the first letter. I have many more stories, so please check your mailbox frequently. I'm hoping through you, my family far and wide will hear these stories. That was the first letter I ever received from Via's granddaughter. Of course, I would go on to receive several more over the years. However, for now, I believe one a show should suffice. I'd rather take my time with them, as some are quite heart-wrenching. For now, why don't we find out what Shelley has been up to in Alaska? 
I know I promised to read more of her stories from her time at the Wisconsin Department of Paranormal Encrypted Activity, but I am very interested to share with you what she is doing now. But first, let's head to the weather for a brief respite. Hello everyone, Misk here again with the weather. This week is shaping up to be particularly dreary as we reach horror season. The amount of rainfall we are receiving is estimated to reach the double digits, so I hope that you heeded our warning last week and prepared your basements. Also, as Garth advised, it's time to start boarding your windows in advance. If you don't do it now, you may lose the chance altogether. And following this rain-filled week, we are going to heat right up into the triple digits. The heat wave we're expecting will likely lead to several very grumpy beings, so I'd suggest preparing some frozen bowls of water and kongs filled with meat in order to keep them happy and preoccupied. Remember, if they're grumpy, the structure of your house and your gardens may be at risk, and they're not opposed to begging when the weather gets too warm. That's all I've got for ya. Back to you, Void. Now that we have that out of the way, let's see what my dear friend Shelley had to say. Void, if you told me I'd be sitting at a hotel breakfast bar at the ripe old age of 45, just to send one stupid email, I probably would have throttled you. But love makes you do some wicked stupid things. I believe I told you when we planned our move that living in Alaska was always my wife's dream. However, I was completely blindsided by what she truly meant. We now live in probably one of the most nerve-wracking areas of the state, solely to study a phenomenon my wife dubs the Big Cat of the Frozen Isles. Weird name, but I love her, so I let her get away with it. I figured, since I haven't had the chance to keep it in communication due to this relocation, I'd simply find time to send a few emails on what I've witnessed on the long dark nights and disorienting days. For now, I figured I'd tell you about our first few weeks here and our struggles to settle in. We moved to the outskirts of Ukovic, a town inhabited by roughly 4,000 people. You'd assume, with that many people, that we'd have luxuries such as the internet, but my wife would hear nothing of it. Study nature by trying to become closer to it is her life motto. Now. It is a myth that parts of Alaska experience six months of light and six months of dark. However, we do experience roughly 80 summer days of never-ending sunlight and 67 days of darkness come winter. During those days of darkness, I assume you'd immediately think vampires, but unfortunately that isn't true, despite how desperately I'd love to study them. Old habits die hard, a motto far too correct in my case. Instead, it is said to be the favorite hunting period for a feline-esque creature, one the size of a bear but lacking the obvious fangs that would imply it was the extinct saber-tooth. Over our time here, we've collected stories of it and started preparing a tenuous schedule to try and catch it the next time the town goes dark. Avery is very- She's been diligently writing down every tale of the creature since the day we arrived though I think the locals may be growing tired of her constant questions. Avery and I haven't yet had the luxury of the dark days, but we have had the pleasure of never-ending light from the two suns overhead. The suns won't set until August, and I already find myself losing track of time. The other day, Avery caught me out in the greenhouse at three in the morning. I could have sworn it was only six in the afternoon. Needless to say, I'm just short of losing my mind. 
Who thought, after all my time at the WDPCA, this would be what breaks me? Anyway, I've seen some strange shit over the last few months I've lived here. Avery has as well, so I'll share one of her stories. I don't necessarily know if these are common happenings around here, as she is the social one, but I really don't think I will get used to this. My first experience with the local wildlife happened about a week in. I was taking out the trash when I saw what I had assumed was a polar bear. My assumption, however, was starkly incorrect. It indeed had the white fur and large body of a polar bear, but it was wrong. Everything about it was wrong. The way my body reacted when I first saw the Owlman cub was child's play. I felt my body freeze in place as I noticed its mouth split vertically as it locked eyes with me, though I am not entirely sure if I would call the black orbs on its face eyes. Luckily, it didn't seem too interested in me as it had downed a doll sheep from what I could see between its forelegs. It took merely moments for our eyes to meet before it scooped up the downed sheep and lumbered away. To describe this creature in greater detail, it had all the markings of a polar bear, but its mouth opened the wrong way and its eyes seemed more like black obsidian orbs. From the backside, it had the gait of a polar bear, but with an impressive, false face, like you'd see in butterflies or frogs. This oddity is something you usually see on prey animals, and it had me wondering what could possibly hunt that creature that had evolved in such a way. Unfortunately, that wasn't the last time I saw it, and after asking some of the locals that had lived here for generations, it apparently minds its own quite well. After experiencing something like that, you'd think every following experience would be less tenuous. That assumption would be incorrect. I've witnessed several disturbing and bone-rattling beings throughout my time, but it is still disconcerting to see ones you've never even read of. Avery had an equally eerie encounter the following week. She was bringing home our weekly grocery load when she was forced to stop for a critter crossing the road. Of course, she was purely enamored by the arctic fox that ran across the road, only to be thrown for a loop when a much larger creature charged after it. In her words, it was the size of a moose, but a body more similar to that of a wolverine. Now I can't explain how a wolverine grew to the size of a suburban, but the thought alone is rattling. She claimed it sported the standard coat, but it looked rabid mouth open wider than any wolverine she's ever studied, and its body was almost translucent in nature, giving a view to the muscles and workings underneath. Avery says she asked some of the locals for insight, and they seemed more shocked she had actually seen one. According to them, these creatures are semi-extinct, and rarely seen in Nukovic. Apparently, they do occasionally go after humans, but it's highly uncommon to see them near towns as they aren't a fan of noise. She was told very bluntly that she was lucky it didn't decide to go after her car instead of the fox it was chasing. With this experience, we've added another creature to our list of study. Unfortunately for Avery, and fortunately for me, neither of us have witnessed another one run across our path. I think for now I shall end this letter here. I do, however, promise to write to you again, 
and find time to listen to your shows that the locals promised to record for me. Write back when you find time, and when I manage to read, I shall send you more tales of my time here. I promise you I have plenty more to tell, but staring at a screen too long to write them is, in Avery's words, death to the eyes. For now, farewell, and I hope your feline companion is faring well. I do miss him dearly. With love, Shell. Now, don't worry, I have already written back to Shelley and expressed my gratitude that she and her wife are still well and thriving. I won't lie and say I wasn't worried that something terrible had happened, but Avery has always been a little eccentric. Speaking of Avery, she actually studied the jack bears I mentioned earlier. To give you a quick rundown, jack bears are jackrabbits with the imposing height of a bear and body akin to that of a wolfman not to mention antlers that frame their ears beautifully. Avery discovered them when she was only five years old, in her home state of Washington. In her words, they are incredibly docile creatures and are very protective of humans, especially those that provide them snacks. Before Avery's discovery of them, people always assumed they were fever dreams caused by dehydration from being lost in the woods so long. From all the reports I can scrounge up, jack bears tend to lead stranded hikers and those that simply get lost back to civilization, to the best of their ability. I'll be sure to look back on some of my older letters to find some jack bear stories for next time. Or hey, maybe if you've ever experienced one, you could find time to write in. I would love to get some fresher stories in here eventually. I'm sure my personal stories and the ones I read back in the day are getting old. Anyway, every episode I like to try and present you with stories of things that seem rather mundane to us, and this week I had a little help. I asked some friends what they'd be interested in hearing about, and the answer seemed to be the Phantom Chickens of Seymour, Wisconsin. And well, I can't just talk about the Phantom Chickens as the research I can dig up is extremely minimal. But I figure why not use this as an opportunity to discuss Chicken Alley, a place I have actually been. However, Seymour's Chicken Alley isn't the only one, so I'll include tidbits of the other Chicken Alley with its own spooky happenings. Alright, on to the report. Seymour, Wisconsin, a town founded in 1868, is commonly known as the home of the hamburger, but it is not free from the paranormal. You see, Seymour is also home to the popular Chicken Alley. It has fluctuated in its popularity over the years, but that doesn't stop the kids of the town from daring each other to stand in the intersection. This became popular due to rumors that if you find yourself in the intersection for too long, a disembodied voice will start to berate you. Of course, we are not sure if it is simply to remove you from danger or because it is the voice's favorite spot. Now, the name Chicken Alley is quite interesting, but it seemingly fits, as phantom chickens are no strangers to these parts. There are several claims of motorists seeing these chickens dart out in front of them, but once they pull over to check if there is any damage, there is nothing to investigate. Though, with Seymour being a farming town, I wouldn't be surprised if there are also some phantom cow sightings. Hell, if you head down to Baraboo, there are tales of ghost chickens and ghost elephants. Of course, chickens aren't the Sally's only inhabitants. 
On the site, unexplainedresearch.com, a member going by Jennifer N. shares photos of her time in the alley. Several of them include very prominent orbs and unexplained lights, some in motion that weren't visible to the human eye. Unfortunately, Jennifer and her husband did not receive a scolding when standing in the middle of the intersection, which I'm sure was quite the bummer. Other unexplained events noted in Seymour's Chicken Alley include disappearing snowmobiles in the middle of summer and lights appearing in front of or behind you only to disappear as they drew closer. While Seymour is not the only reported home of the hamburger, it also is not the only place with a chicken alley. North Carolina has one of their own, named Chicken Alley for the chickens that used to congregate there. Today, the most common chicken found in the alley is a mural painted by Molly Must that decorates the entrance. However, there are claims that a more ghostly being lurks there. It is said by many that a physician from the 19th century still calls this alley home. This apparition is believed to be Dr. Jamie Smith, a lover of a good time and frequenter of the local brothels and bars. Dr. Smith lost his life at a bar called Broadway's Tavern, located in Chicken Alley, in 1902, when he unsuccessfully tried to break up a bar fight and instead received a knife to the heart. Dr. Smith is said to be seen walking around the alley, still sporting the iconic wide-brimmed fedora, silver-tipped cane, and long-style duster coat that he was known for. Several even claim you can hear the click of his cane as he walks the streets. Some wonder if he is still trying to stop the bar fight, or maybe the poor man just wants the drink he was aiming for in the first place. Unfortunately for him, Broadway's tavern burned down a year after his last breath. Of course, maybe that alone was enough to make him visit. Ah, another report with minimal findable research. Honestly, it is such a shame when all I wish to do is share these stories with you. Maybe next time I will have to reach outside of Wisconsin and finally talk about the stories found in Garth's side of the woods. For now, it is time I call it a night here at Station 13. Unfortunately, while I was recording, I got flooded in, so I will be turning on the floodlights here and heading to bed in the station bunks. Before I go, one quick announcement. Unfortunately, we will be taking a short break here for a birthday in the crew. However, we will still be posting two episodes in August. They will simply be posted on back-to-back -back weekends. Wish my feline co-host and me luck getting sleep in this old bunker. Honestly, just glad the beds here are still in good shape. And I brought food. Anywho, I hope you all have a wonderful night. It's 10pm. Do you know where your children are? This is DJ Void, signing off. Thank you everyone for taking the time to listen to Station 13. A special thanks goes out to Lyric for the podcast cover art and voicing Garth Strongwater. You can find him on TikTok as Lapcat Creations. 
Another special thanks to Rain for voicing our newest station staple, Misk. You can find them on other shows such as Onward and Onward on most podcasting platforms and Paracosm Entertainment on YouTube and Twitch. Would you like to learn more about our cast? Visit thestation13.com.